So I'm going to read from halfway through John's Gospel. And as I said, we're taking this opportunity to call this series uh, uh, Jesus is Alive, Resurrection Appearances in John's Gospel. And we're looking at the next few weeks of what the disciple John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's the, the name that John gave himself. What does he tell us about the resurrection appearances of uh, Jesus? And uh, this, just in case you think I'm reading my sermon out this morning, I'm not. This is, uh, this is uh, a journaling gospel, so it's got uh, the Bible on one side and space on the other side, and I quite often use it. And so I've, I'm going straight for my journaling notes this morning. I'm not, filter, not filtering it through any, any uh, sermon preparation, so it might be a little bit rough and ready. Let's... Let's see how we get on. But this is, uh, this is from John chapter 20, verse 19. I think these are oh, there already. Good. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So I've got three things I want to say about that, but we're going to set the scene for a little bit so we can just leave those verses up there and settle, settle in a little bit. Um, Jesus had warned the disciples three times about his death, and about his resurrection. And when it happens, they still hadn't quite understood what was going on, the enormity of what was happening. And uh, those that were still around the cross would have heard Jesus' last words. You've heard me say this before when I was in doing schools work in Cardiff many years ago. We used to go into high schools and do a Bible quiz. How much do people know about the Bible? Uh, for like, it's like a roundabout sort of GCSE level for uh, their studies. And one of the questions was, according to the gospel, what's the last words of Jesus on the cross? It's, it is finished. But one bright kid stuck his hand up and I said, yes. And he said, I'll be back. <laughs> I said, well, yeah, you got, got the right sentiment. You're actually quite an Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, in, the term in Terminator, but, <laughs> but, you, but you're almost there. You're almost there. But Jesus says these words, it is finished. Tetelestai is that word in, in Greek. And it has a few meanings. And just before we even get into this passage, let's just wind back and see the significance of what Jesus is saying. The first meaning of that word tetelestai, it, it's like today we might say job done. Or mission accomplished. It's that it's that sense of finality, sense of I've done what I've been called to do. The task that I was meant to do, it's done, it's finished. That was one example of it. Another one would be that the high priest would use it when he'd sacrificed the spotless lamb on behalf of the people to draw them closer to God. The high priest would say, would decree Tetelestai, it's finished, the sacrifice has been completed. So you can see already why Jesus is, is using that, that word. And then the third way is that it would be in a business transaction. 
If I owed Ben a lot of money and I was paying him back week by week, I'm not owing him a lot of money and I've no intention of paying it back week by week. But if I did, and today, let's say my fi final payment was £100, I would give him that £100, he would gratefully receive it, and I could say, Tetelestai, it's finished. I've, I've made the final payment. It's done. So again, you see the significance, the fullness of why Jesus is using that word. And finally, and most significantly for the passage we're going to read today, Tetelestai was used to, de to define the ending of something and the starting of something else. The end of one season, the end of one agreement, the end of one particular passage of life and the starting of something very new. So again, you can see the significance of why Jesus is saying those words, that word on the cross. And all the way through our discussions, our, our studies, if you've been on a Tuesday, our sermons on a Sunday, we've talked about this concept that John has more than anywhere else in the Gospels of Zoe life, this abundant, overflowing, full, eternal life that can only happen through Jesus. And so John wants to draw this all in and give us the significance and the entry point, if you like, for us into this Zoe life, into this abundant life, into this eternal life. And that's why I've talked about this morning about talking about a new way of living. Jesus is alive. Receive the Holy Spirit. And I've got three things to say from this passage, really, and we can begin to move on now, Richard, I think. The first one is that as John unfolds the story for us, he reminds us that Jesus offers us an opportunity to live with a new peace. Now, Jesus says here, peace be with you. He says it twice. Nothing, nothing unusual about the first time he says it. It's a, it was a common Middle Eastern greeting, peace be with you. In fact, if you travel to many Middle Eastern countries today, they will still use some variation of that as a greeting. So there's nothing unusual about that except Jesus is making it unusual. And he says it, he says it twice. And he offers a calming presence in the life of confused disciples. Remember, they are behind locked doors. They are fearful. They are confused. They, it says here, the doors are locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. And Jesus offers them peace and joy in their life like they've never known before. Jesus is alive. He proves it how? By showing his hands and his side. This is him. This is Jesus. This is not an imposter. This is not a ghost. This is not a vision. This is not some spirit. This is Jesus, flesh and blood, and he's showing them. So now this normal Jewish greeting, peace be with you, takes on this incredible new significance. And I want to say this morning, I want to give you the opportunity on this Easter Sunday to perhaps explore that idea of having a new peace in your life. None of us are immune from the challenges, the pressures, the difficulties of living. 
almost think we need to give ourselves a big round of applause every Sunday just for managing to get to church. And just as an aside, those of you that are visiting us this morning, and there are some visitors here, you're very welcome. It's lovely to see you on Easter Sunday. Hope you have a blessed time with us. But none of us are immune, not just to the outside things that are going on in life, but the internal things in our, in our minds, in our hearts, that sometimes destroy our peace. Easter Sunday, above everything else, reminds us that Jesus offers a new peace. And this morning, if your peace has been disturbed, not if you're disturbing the peace, that's a very different thing. <laughs> if your peace has been disturbed this morning, a little bit later, I'm going to offer you that opportunity to receive more of the Holy Spirit so he can reintroduce you to that peace that only Jesus can bring deep down in your life. And the second thing that we notice in this is that the second time Jesus says this, he links it to another phrase. Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So we don't just live with a new peace, we live with a new purpose. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The good news of Jesus is placed in the hands of the disciples. And that's the story of the Christian faith since then. The good news of Jesus is placed in your hands and in my hands. And we might feel that we're worthless. We might feel that we're disqualified. We might feel that we're useless. We might feel that... That we're a mistake, that all the things that have gone on in our life can't possibly mean we're, we're worth anything. And then we discover that the most powerful, significant, important, life-changing message that this world has ever seen is entrusted to me and to you. Not just to me, not just to the pastor, but to you. And in your hands, God places the good news message. I was reading something online this morning in my devotional time, and a friend of mine, another Elim pastor who is in, in Crawley in Sussex, uh, he, he, he said this, it's a lovely line, he said, the cross has become the symbol of the Christian church since that very first Easter weekend. He said, I've, have you ever wondered why the empty tomb isn't, isn't our symbol as well? Why don't we have a cross on one side and an empty tomb on the other side? Or why don't we, you know, why don't we wear empty tomb earrings? Or em empty... And he says this. He says, because the cross symbolizes what only Jesus can do on our behalf. But the reality of the new life that the empty tomb brings can be in each of us. And we are the symbols of the new life. I thought, well, for New Life Church this morning, that's a good little thing to remember, isn't it? We are the symbols of new life. And you might think that you're an accident. You might think you've been disqualified from anything important. You're here this morning to be reminded that God wants his Holy Spirit to flow through you so that you can be part of his purposes and his plans. Only Jesus can forgive. It's an interesting line here that some denominations use it to think that people like me at the front of a church can give forgiveness. If you forgive anyone's sin, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. 
We don't believe in a tradition that where I can say your sins are forgiven, but we do believe in a tradition where we say, I believe that God will forgive your sins. See the subtle difference there. And I think Jesus is saying to the disciples, if you're following me and, and, and the Holy Spirit is living in you, then the power to point people to forgiveness of sins is yours. And that's the same. We know the power of forgiveness. Hopefully we've discovered that for ourselves. We've experienced that for ourselves. And there are so many people out there in this world today who believe that they have done something too bad ever to be forgiven. You might have heard this story of a, a newspaper in Madrid, in Spain, on, on, on a Monday morning edition in the small ads, was written this. Paco, I forgive you, your loving father. Meet me under the station clock, 11 o'clock on Thursday morning. The story goes at 11 o'clock on Thursday morning, over 300 men called Paco were standing under that clock, waiting for forgiveness from their father. And this story reminds us that only Jesus can forgive our sins. Why was Jesus sent to the cross? Because he claimed to be the son of God. Because he claimed to forgive sins. And the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders didn't like to hear that. But that's the reality. That's the truth. This morning, I don't care what you've done. I don't care how often you've done it. I don't care how dirty and disgusting and degrading inside you feel. Jesus brings hope and cleansing and forgiveness to you. Why do I know that? Why can I say that with certainty? Because I can say that about my own life. And the only qualification that really stands me in front of you, apart from a master's degree in theology, I guess, but the real qualification is I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven by Jesus. That's my real only qualification for standing, for standing here. So we live with a new purpose. We can have the most exciting job in the world. We can live in the greatest house. We can have the most spectacular family. We can have the biggest social media account going. None of that matters a jot compared to knowing and loving and serving God. And perhaps this morning, for some of you, it's that moving from disqualified to qualified, moving from unforgiven to forgiven, moving from trying to do everything in your own power and being weighed down by that, moving to God's power. So we live with a new peace, we live with a new purpose, and I've just hinted at the final P, living with a new power. And with that, he breathed on them, and said, receive the Holy Spirit. wonder what his breath was like. He'd been dead for two days. I just sneaked to the back and swallowed a couple of mints just in case I was going to breathe on anybody because I had a bit of coffee breath. But Jesus takes this opportunity to give his disciples a sneak preview of what will happen to the church 40 days later at Pentecost. And he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. Up to now they're confused. Up to now they're fearful. Up to now they're relying on the old covenant of being good enough, of following the law, of trying hard enough that their faith might justify them in front of a perfect God. And Jesus welcomes them into the new covenant. 
This is when they received new life. What's the difference? Well, the difference is this in this is that Jesus is no longer just God's representative, God's son with them. God now is in them. And that's such an important thing for us. We say that God is with us. We trust that God will be with us. We know that. But as Pentecostals, as men and women of faith, we know that the Holy Spirit lives in us, or at least he wants to live in us. So wherever we go, Jesus isn't just with us. God lives in us. And we see the dramatic change in the life of the disciples after this. Not only are they overjoyed, their fear goes. And for the Bible scholars amongst you, you'll know the significance of Jesus breathing the Holy Spirit life into them here, mirroring that picture in Genesis 2 of God breathing life into the first man. That's why Jesus is called the the second Adam. And so God is recalibrating. God is starting over. God is offering new life. All of this on the back of what the disciples must have thought was the worst day in history. When all their hopes and dreams of following Jesus seem to have been dashed as he died on the cross. And so what's our response this morning? I've deliberately cut my sermon short so we can have plenty of time to respond and pray. And I'd like to pray with you. I'd like to pray for you. Some of the other leaders might do. So let me suggest a few things that you might want to be thinking about this morning. Perhaps some of you, metaphorically speaking, you're locked away in that room. You're afraid. There's stuff going on in your life that you're worried about. Perhaps your faith doesn't make complete sense to you. Perhaps there's other stuff. I know there's plenty of folk in the church who need, who feel trapped at the moment in illness and sickness and ill health. And we want to speak that, that word shalom, peace, wholeness over you in that situation. So this morning, this might be the time to let God unlock that door. And you step out of that. For some of you, it's about that, just that peace of mind and spirit. I sense there's people here this morning who aren't sleeping well. And they would love tonight to go back and just touch the pillow and be sleeping. And you feel like it's a real spiritual battle just to have a good night's sleep. I believe Jesus wants to speak peace over your sleep and over your rest. Because one of the ways that the devil can really get at us and destroy our peace of mind is by not giving us much rest. And some of you this morning, that might be an opportunity for you to be prayed for. For others, it's that sense of value. Could I really be valuable to God? Could I really be used by God? I'm a, I, I, I can't believe that would be the case. And you need, you've heard enough of it from the outside in. You need to experience it from the inside out now. And you need to have that touch of God in you as the Holy Spirit breathes new life into you.
for some of you, you're ready and you're willing and you're saying, Lord, use me. I'm a bit weak, I'm a bit feeble, I don't know how I can help, but I'm, but I'm available. You just need that confidence and authority that God will put in you to serve. I hope that today will be a foretaste of the next season for us as a church. After we've looked at the resurrection appearances of John, we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at some Old Testament prophets and the message that they bring and how they point to Jesus. But quite soon we're going to be looking at Acts and we're going to be looking at the miraculous growth of the early church. And we can't look at miracles without praying for miracles, can't we? We can't just read about miracles without hoping and desiring and praying that God will do something miraculous amongst us. So I hope today might, might unlock something for us as a church. And we might move into a season where we can see God moving, where we can know his presence, where we can know that the Holy Spirit is in us and we can experience body life. And that doesn't mean everything revolves around me, doesn't mean I'm going to be the only one praying, doesn't mean I'm going to be the only one in the middle of miracles. This is going to mean a release of the Holy Spirit amongst all of you. I'm going to be overwhelmed and excited by stories of, what's God, of what God is doing in this place. But it starts right now with an expectation and understanding that the same power that brought Jesus from the dead is a power that God wants to release in our lives right now by his Holy Spirit. doesn't matter whether you've prayed and you've received the Holy Spirit before. doesn't matter if you've never received the Holy Spirit. doesn't matter if, if you're praying every day like this. You can never have too much prayer. And you can never receive too much of God's promises and presence in his life.